Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Spitting in somebody's face is so serious that you want to think twice before you do it. And what he's saying, they don't even think twice. They don't even hesitate for a second to do it. That's how, how much disdain they have for me. Verse 11, because he has loosed my bowstring and afflicted me. He's speaking of God. Again, he's convinced that God is against him. God has afflicted him. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Job. Job was in pretty dire straits. If you imagine yourself in the worst scenario possible, that's where he's at. He's experienced loss that very few of us can even fathom. Yet, as Pastor J.D. continues to study this extremely unfortunate man, let yourself be encouraged and inspired by his loyalty and reverence for God in the face of his hardship. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Job chapter 29 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Chapter 29 now, Job is continuing his defense, his discourse, as we're going to see here in verse 1. It's sort of a lengthy discourse and defense as he continues to maintain his innocence in the face of unbelievable, vicious, false accusations from his three so-called friends, so-called friends, which thankfully uh, are done talking now <laughs> and not a moment too soon. Uh, they actually come to an end and Bildad is the last one to speak. And he says basically what has been said all along that Job has secret sin in his life. He needs to repent. He needs to confess this sin. And were he to do so, then God would immediately remove all of the suffering from him. Because clearly, according to their theology, God was punishing Job because he had sinned greatly against God. Now, throughout our study of this book, as gnarly as it's been, <laughs> Uh, I say that in a sanctified way because, yes, it's been gnarly, it's been intense, it's been difficult, it's been hard going through all of this, but it's been so rich in the truth that we have in this and from this. And one of those truths is simply this, that our theology can sometimes, though we would go to our grave Go to our, our dying breath with the belief that our theology is correct. What theology is that? That theology is that if I'm good, then God will be good to me. But if I'm bad, then God will allow bad to happen to me. That is not good theology. And this is the theology of Job's so-called three friends. And this is what God is doing because God is totally jamming the gears of their theology, their incorrect uh, beliefs about 
who God is. Because now Job is a good man who has had unspeakable bad happen in his life. And that does not comport with their theology. That does not fit into the template of their creed, if you will. And so now they've come to the end of their discourse And Job is now going to have sort of the final word. Actually, God has the final word. But Job, in a lengthy discourse, is going to maintain his innocence in a very interesting way, as we're going to see tonight. And so we read in verse 1, Job 29, Job further continued his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, just as I was in the days of my prime, when the friendly counsel of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were around me, when my steps, verse 6, were bathed with cream, and the rock poured out rivers of oil for me. Job is reminiscing. He's remembering what it was like before all of this happened. Verse 7, when I went out to the gate by the city, when I took my seat in the open square, the young men saw me and hid. This was out of respect. And the aged arose and stood. By the way, this is what you will find today in the Middle East. In my culture, uh, in fact, I remember my, my dad would uh, tell me about when, uh, when he would walk into a room because he was so respected and, and so honored. When he would walk into a room, everybody would stand. Everybody would rise when he would walk into a room and say, wow. That's pretty cool. But it's a custom to honor those who are held in such high esteem. And certainly this was how Job was seen. So verse 9, the princes refrained from talking and put their hand on their mouth. That's another thing. Out of respect, you wouldn't speak. You would listen. When somebody of that reputation, that well-esteemed, that honored, that well-respected would walk into the room. And verse 10, they would put their hand on their mouth. Verse 10, the voice of the nobles was hushed and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw, then it approved me because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper. Uh, Interesting that Job would mention that. You know why? Because he was accused of the opposite of that. He was accused of taking advantage of the fatherless and the helpless and the widows taking advantage of the poor. And so he, again, in maintaining his innocence, remembers what it was like before all of this happened. And he makes a point to point out that that's what he used to do. He would deliver the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper. The blessing, verse 13, of a perishing man came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice 
was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor. And I searched out the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. Then I said, I shall die in my nest and multiply my days as the sand. My root is spread out to the waters and the dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is fresh within me and my bow is renewed in my hand. Men listened to me and waited and kept silence for my counsel. After my words, they did not speak again. And my speech settled them on them as do. Verse 23, they waited for me as for the rain. And they opened their mouth wide as for the spring rain. If I mocked at them, they did not believe it. And the light of my countenance, they did not cast down. I chose the way for them and sat as chief. So I dwelt as a king in the army as one who comforts mourners. You know what's interesting about this? I don't know if you noticed it as I was reading it as you were following along. But what Job is remembering here is how much God had blessed him. The blessing that God had bestowed on him and how powerfully and mightily God had used him in the life of another You get the impression when you read this that Job is remembering what it was like when he was so close to God. You get the impression that this man had this intimate closeness, this relationship with his God that was like no other. And and he's remembering it and even missing it. Because you have to understand, he is fully convinced that God is against him. He is actually convinced that God has forsaken him. And what makes it so painful for him is he doesn't know why. In fact, throughout everything that he says, one of the common denominators is he's crying out to God. God, why do you hide from me? God, why do you remain silent? Please, God, answer me. Show me if I've done anything, whatever it is. Please. This was the thing that Job missed the most and remembered and reflected on with the greatest fondness. Not that he didn't miss his ten children. Certainly he's grieving with a deep sorrow and grief the death of his children. Surely he he remembers what it was like when he had his life. His life was a blessed life. And he's about to contrast it now with what his life was like before blessed and what his life is like now cursed. And what makes that curse even more bitter, too bitter, is he doesn't know why. Why has God's hand turned against me? Why is God angry with me? And so I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this. He says, it is a great thing for a man to be near to God. It is a very choice privilege to be admitted into, and I like this, the inner circle of communion. Wow. The inner circle of communion. You know, we talk about in the secular context how, oh, they're they're in the inner circle. 
How would you like to be in the inner circle with God? Job was the inner circle of communion and to become God's familiar friend. Great as the privilege is, so great is the loss of it. And that's what he's experiencing. And then he says this, and it's really interesting. I like the the imagery here. He says, no darkness is so dark as that which falls on eyes accustomed to the light. Here's a man that was so accustomed to the light, and the greater that light was, and that light was great, how much greater in contrast was the darkness that now Job finds himself in. When you've been used to, accustomed to, familiar with that light, that brightness, that closeness to the light of the world, if you will, and then to go from that to this, are you kidding me? How It, it, it goes both ways, right? You know how it is when you've been in a dark room and you go out into the bright sunlight, poof, (laughs) your eyes, your pupils can't adjust to it, can't acclimate to just the sheer brightness of it because your eyes have been adjusted and become acclimated to the darkness that you were in prior. So it goes both ways. Can you imagine the light that once shined so bright? now has been reduced to such darkness. Chapter 30, he's now going to sort of flip it over to the other side and and and, and draw a very painful and, and stunning contrast to what it was like before, to what it's like now. He says, verse 1, but now they mock at me, men younger than I, ooh, you got to understand, in the Middle East culture, and certainly in this ancient culture in that day, for a young little whippersnapper <laughs> to be disrespectful, even ridiculing and mocking of an elder <laughs> in our day, which by the way is a sign of the times, right? No respect for authority. No respect for authority. Paul writing to Timothy, I didn't necessarily want to go there, but too late I'm going to go there. (laughs) I mean, Paul writing to Timothy said, this would be one of the markers of the last days. You would have children that would be disobedient to their parents. Talk back to them. Yeah, some of you are looking at me, and back in our day, like we always like to say, well, back in my day... (laughs) You know, you, you didn't get away with that. Oh, if I, if I even so much as uh, raise my voice against my father, well, let's just put it like this. Uh, somebody else would be the pastor of Calvary Chapel Cunningham. That wouldn't have been around. <laughs> that would have been it. That would have been the end. You don't do that. And, I, and now I, I wonder when Job describes this in verse 1 about how these young whippersnappers, you'll forgive me for referring to them that way, but that's what they are, uh, mocking him. I wonder if they were the same ones that prior would stand up when he would walk in the room out of respect. 
here's what I'm thinking. If I, if I can maybe fill in a couple of, of the blanks here as to the why behind the what. Uh, you have to understand that, uh, and again, even in, in the Middle East today particularly, uh, if, if someone saw you as being cursed of God, then you were nothing. You were nothing. It, it's like it gave them license. That's where we, by the way, get our word licentiousness. It gave them license to also curse you because it's already a curse from God upon you. I want to actually talk about this a little bit more, uh, a little bit later. But now they mock at me, men younger than I, whose fathers I disdain to put with the dogs of my flock. Indeed, what profit is the strength of their hands to me? Their vigor has perished. They are gaunt from want and famine, fleeing late to the wilderness, desolate and waste, who pluck mallow by the bushes and broom tree roots for their food. They were driven out from among men. They shouted at them as at a thief. They had to live in the clefts of the valleys and the caves of the earth and the rocks. Among the bushes they brayed. Under the nettles they nestled. They were sons of fools. Yes, sons of vile men. They were scourged from the land. And now I am their taunting song. You know what that sort of infers? They were making songs about Job. They were making jokes about Job. How many Jobs does it take to change a light bulb? No, they were, they were, he was the laughing stock of the, of the community. Yes, he says, I am their byword. <laughs> they abhor me. They keep far from me. And then he says this, they do not hesitate to spit in my face. That's very interesting. So this is another thing that, uh, I, I want to kind of, fill in some of the cultural dynamics. In the Middle East, if you spit in somebody's face, that is the ultimate. That is the ultimate. That is the the ultimate. I'm trying to look for the for the word. I remember again my my dad uh telling me that I want to spit in their face. And I was like, well, then spit in their face. No, no, you don't understand. <laughs> when you <laughs> when you spit so if we're in Israel, don't spit in anybody's faces, okay? Because we will probably not be bringing you back from Israel, okay? It is the ultimate disrespect to spit in somebody's face. You remember years and years ago when, that well, was not that long ago, but uh, when George Bush was in Iraq and they uh, threw the shoe at him? That's really bad. That That is a... That is one of the most disrespectful things. But more than that is to spit in somebody's face. You don't do that. And here's what's really interesting. There's this little detail here where he says they don't hesitate. In other words, spitting in somebody's face is so serious that you want to think twice before you do it. And what he's saying, they don't even think twice. They don't even hesitate for a second to do it. That's how, how much disdain they have for me. Verse 11, because he has loosed my bowstring and afflicted me. He's speaking of God. Again, he's convinced that God is against him. God has afflicted him. They have cast off restraint before me. Verse 12, at my right hand, the rabble arises. They push away my feet. And they raise against me their ways of destruction. Picture the scene here. 
It's so cruel. Because what Job is saying is, you know how somebody that is, by the way, I don't use the word handicapped, and I'll explain why. Uh, it, it, its origin is from beggars who were crippled or had some malady putting their cap in their hand begging for money. Handicap comes from hand in cap. So I, it took me a while, but uh, I always referred to uh, people with disabilities as disabled, not handicapped, disabled, right? So you know how cruel it is when you see a bully mistreating somebody who's disabled? I mean, forget about the physical part of it, just the, the, the verbal teasing and, and ridiculing. You got a, a child in school and kids are so mean. And they're, they're teasing that, that, uh, you know, uh, ch- that special needs child, as often we refer to them. Here they have special needs and they're mocking them. And, uh, Job's saying, the, 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 you know, it's like they're tripping me as I'm walking down the aisle. They push my feet away from me and then, and then they watch me fall, boils and all. And then they laugh at me. Imagine that. Can you imagine? A man who once had such dignity, was so respected and honored, has been reduced to this. And he's reflecting on what his life was like before as compared to what it is now. This is what I refer to as a sway, and I'll explain what I mean by that. So minus 10 and plus 10 is 20, right? It's not a difference of 10, it's a difference of 20, because the sway between the minus 10 and the plus 10 is 20. So you think about the contrast, the the sway, if you will, between what Job's life was like then and what Job's life is like now. Verse 13, they break up my path, they promote my calamity, they have no helper, They come as broad breakers. Under the ruinous storm, they roll along. Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my honor as the wind, and my prosperity has passed like the cloud. And now, verse 16, my soul is poured out because of my plight. The days of affliction take hold of me. My bones are pierced in me at night, and my gnawing pains take no rest. There's no relief. There's no respite. It is continual all day, every day, all night, every night, without end. The book of Job shares the story of a man who has lost everything, but still clung to his faith in the goodness of God. This is an unusual concept, especially in a world that typically blames God for the evil that is around the world. God is still good no matter the difficulties you are facing in your own life. God is in control, and He will bring things to the conclusion He knows is right and perfect. He provides the peace and comfort you'll need to endure as well. Along with the strength to continue forging ahead, trust God, He's on your side. We hope you found encouragement and blessing through today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. We'd love to connect with you, so please take time to visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. 
Follow our links to Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and join the conversation already happening there. You'll learn more about our ministry at our website as well, and be able to catch the latest editions of the Mideast Prophecy Update. Each week, Pastor J.D. takes a look at current events of the world and compares them with scriptural teachings, sharing what God is teaching him through it all. You'll find these updates at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com as well as on our mobile app for Apple and Android phones. That brings us to the end of our time with you today. There's much more to discover in the book of Job. We hope you'll read ahead and ask God to reveal His truth through the words on the page. Join us on the next edition of In Spirit and Truth as Pastor J.D. continues his study in Job. 